Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Yay, our microphones are working. <laughs> and I want to introduce our speaker today to you guys. Um, Becky Harling is here. We're so happy to have her here with us. It's been fun for me to get to know her, get to know more about her family. She's married to Steve, and they have four kids and 14 grandkids. Um, they've been in pastoral ministry together over the years. They've done a lot of mission work together all over the world. And in this season, Becky is a speaker and a writer. She's written many books. And um, she also is a coach with John Maxwell Ministries. So we're so happy for her to be here with us today to talk about listening to your kids. But before I bring her up here, I just want to tell you a little bit about a few of the books that she's, well, she's written many books, but we have a few here today. And right by our food table over here, we have a book table with these books on them. So during COVID, she wrote a book called Psalms for the Anxious Heart, a 30-day devotional for uncertain times. And so I'm sure probably all of us could read this and gain some peace and strength and wisdom. So that one is there. And um, this one is $8. And then this one is called How to Listen So People Will Talk, Build Stronger Communication and Deeper Connections. So this book is written to those of you who have older kids, um, maybe even kids that are, you know, heading towards being out of the home or out of the home. And this one's $12. And then after that one, she wrote, How to Listen So Your Kids Will Talk. This one's also $12. So this would be great for those of you who have younger kids in the home and are you know, working on, how do I become a good listener? How do I create this space for my kids to be able to open up to me? And this is really what she's going to be talking to us about today. So if you want to sort of go deeper into this conversation, this would be a great book for that. So let me pray for us before we get started. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for all of us who could be here together this morning. We pray for those moms who are not with us or those who are sick or just couldn't be here today. Um, we pray that you would help each of us through your Holy Spirit to just take in what you have for us today, Lord, whether that's just your peace or your wisdom or encouragement, Lord. We thank you for Becky, Lord. We thank you for her willingness to come and just to serve us um, through her calling, through her vocation, Lord, to, to speak with us, to, to bring um, the words of Jesus to us today, Lord. And um, we pray that through our discussion, Lord, that you would help all of us as moms just to leave feeling encouraged, filled up, that we would leave feeling seen by you, seen by others. We thank you for this time, and we just pray that you be with Becky as she speaks to us in your name. Amen. Come on up, Becky. Well, this is so fun. I, um, I love speaking on motherhood because from the time I was a little girl, that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a mother. And so just so I get to know all of you, how many of you have children who are teenagers? Okay, some of you. How many of you have kids in grade school or junior high? Okay, how many of you have toddlers? Okay, and how many of you have kids outside the home? All right. So we have the whole gamut here. I love that. That is so much fun. <clears throat> well, my husband Steve and I got married at a young age. 
And we were just really excited about becoming parents. And so we became parents at a really young age. And the great thing was that we were excited. The unfortunate thing is that we had no idea what we were doing. And, you know, as I began raising kids and started writing books, people would say, could you write a book on parenting? And I would say, no, not until this is completely finished, because I don't know how it's going to turn out, right? And my husband and I would joke with each other, saying, if we ever wrote a book on parenting, it would be called Blackmail, Bribery, and a Whole Lot of Prayer, because (laughs) that was basically the way we raised our kids, you know? Well, I didn't write that book, but after our kids were out of the home, then uh, one of my publishers asked me to write about listening to your kids. And before I even get into that topic, I want to put you all at ease. You know, as moms, you come to an event like this, you hear speakers and you feel guilty like, oh, I blew it last night. You know what? This is a grace space. We've all blown it. If I asked you to raise your hands of how many of you blew it this week in some way, shape, or form, probably every hand in the room would go up, right? I still mess up as a parent, and my kids are adults. I still have to apologize, right? So I want you to understand before we start This is a grace space. So don't leave here feeling like, wow, I'm really a horrible listener. Leave here with, wow, I have some tools because I want to get better at this. Along the way in my parenting journey, I began to learn that connection with your child is everything. You can't guarantee that your child is going to grow up to love Jesus, right? We all want that. We pray for that, but we can't guarantee that. However, we have a lot of ability to influence how connected we are with our children. And one of the greatest keys in feeling connected to your child is listening. In fact, Jesus had something to say about listening. Jesus said, be careful how you listen. And I I remember the day that I was reading my Bible and that scripture jumped off the page at me. Be careful how you listen, Becky. You know, a lot of times my kids would be talking and I would say, yeah, yeah, I'm listening. But, you know, I was making dinner, helping with homework, doing all the things, right? But Jesus said, be careful how you listen. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Because Author David Augsburger wrote a very profound comment that I want you to get this morning. He said that whether or not a person feels heard will influence whether or not they feel loved. Now, wrap your mind around that. In other words, people won't feel loved, your kids included, 
unless they feel heard. So how in the world do we do this thing called listening when we've got homework and we've got job responsibilities and we've got a house to keep clean and we've got our cell phones with email and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and all the things, right? I just found out yesterday that my niece's husband now has like 30,000 followers on Instagram because he's become the dancing dad. Anyway, that's a side note, but we're pulled in all these directions. So how do we take this job of listening in parenthood seriously? Now, I see some of you looking at the documents on the table, and those are yours to keep. They actually are just bonus materials that I'm giving you. So my outline isn't in there because I don't like to tie myself down like that. So I'm just going to talk to you as your friend and you can write things down if you want, or you can put them in your cell phone, or you can just listen. That's fine. Well, as Steve and I progressed and we had these four kids, we thought, you know what? We need a key passage that is going to be the foundation of our home. And we came across Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. Proverbs says, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, writes, By wisdom a house is built, through understanding it's established, and through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And I love that verse. I still go back to it today, even now that our kids are adults and grown up and married, and now we have 14 little grandchildren. But if that verse is tucked within it, it has three couplets that are important in your listening journey. The first one is, by wisdom, a house is built. Man, if there's any job that takes a lot of wisdom, it's parenting, right? I, it was funny this morning as I was getting ready to come here, I actually had conversations with all four of my adult kids who all called me this morning, and, and they were all sharing different things about their kids that they needed wisdom for, and would I pray? Yes, of course, because that's my role now, I pray. You know, it takes a lot of wisdom to raise a child. Let me give you an example. Um, How many of you have negotiator children in your families? Oh, almost all of you. Okay. So, you know, we had, at this point, we had our third child, and um, Steph is amazing. But she came out of the womb just wanting to negotiate everything. And, And I remember... She was like three, maybe four years old. And I just remember her conversations, no joke, would start like this. Mommy, don't say no yet. <laughs> anybody have anybody like that? You know, and, and I remember thinking, you are three. How can you possibly have this many opinions? You know, and, and I was baffled. It was like, okay, if you, if I didn't agree with what she said the first time, Steph didn't get discouraged easily. She would just think, I haven't tried the right argument yet. Because surely, if I give mommy or daddy the right argument, 
she's going to see it my way, you know? And so Steph would try a different approach. And, you know, at times as a, as a human parent, I would get frustrated and just think, for the love of all things holy, just get your shoes on so we can get out the door, you know? And, and it, it became this thing. And I, I just remember one week where Steph was four, and I was just convinced that I was the worst mom out there. I mean, hashtag mom fail all over the place. Anybody ever had a week like that? And everything had gone wrong that week. And I got up early and I got on my knees before the Lord. And I just remember, you know, sobbing before the Lord, like, Lord, I'm messing her up. I don't know when to just give in and say, sure, you can do that. Or when to say, no, you can't do that. I I don't know if I should be getting frustrated when she's arguing, or if I should say, this is a great thing because it's the way you're wired. God, I need wisdom. And as I was there sobbing before the Lord, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Becky, give her a voice. I remember thinking, Lord, I'm pretty sure she has a voice. And the Lord is like, you know what, Becky? This is the way I've wired her on purpose for a purpose. Steph is now this wildly influential woman living in Denver with four kids of her own. She's working on her master. She's working at her church. Companies want to hire her. She's raising four kids. I mean, I don't know how she does everything she does. But if I had squashed her voice as a child... She wouldn't be who she is today. And so I had to relearn some of the things that I had been taught about parenting. You know, as soon as you become pregnant, isn't it amazing the amount of experts there are out there? I mean, my daughter was pregnant. This was a couple of years ago. And she was in Target trying to buy something. And this older gentleman pulled her aside and went on and on and on about what she needed to know about parenting. She had never met him before, but he had all this advice, right? And I I had to relearn or unlearn some of the advice I had been given. You know what, ladies? Nobody can tell you how to raise your child better than God can. And so the place where we begin listening is on our knees before the Lord. We've got to go to God first. God's the one that gave your child the color of those eyes. God's the one that wired them either with a strong will or a a weaker will. God's the one who wired your child to have certain DNA. Some of your children are going to be amazing leaders who are going to conquer the world for Jesus. Some of them are going to be a little more shy and hold back. And you can't just go to your neighbor down the street and say, help me raise my kid. Now, we need community. So hear me say that. We do need community. But at the end of the day, you need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, you gave me this amazing child. 
I lack wisdom, but you are the God of all wisdom. You're the one who put the planets in place. You're the one who wired this child's DNA. You know this child better than I do, and you gave this child me as a mama. So teach me how to raise this child with gentleness, with a listening ear, with a loving heart, so that when they grow up, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, my mom loves me and she cheers for me. She may have messed up along the way, but she loves me and she listens to me. And so the writer of Proverbs says, by wisdom, a house is built. And then he goes on and he says, through understanding, it's established. And I love the word understanding and this couplet, understanding established. Because in the Hebrew, if you analyze this, it's the idea of resetting something that has been toppled over. Now, in our home, we had a lot of soccer players. Anybody have soccer players? Okay, some of y'all do. And I remember when our son, um, JJ, was trying to up how many times he could juggle a soccer ball, right? And I think he was at 250, but he wanted to get to 500. And so he would be juggling the soccer ball in the family room and lights would crash over or things would fall off the table. And, you know, you had to reset those lights up. That's the idea. That's the picture behind this. Your kids are growing up in a world where their feelings are going to get toppled over. You know, their feelings are going to get toppled over when a friend at school betrays them, when there's a perhaps a gun threat or a bomb threat. Their feelings are going to get toppled over when they don't make the school team that they thought they were going to make. You know, I, I just had a friend whose son has played soccer his whole life, has been on the national team, and did not get chosen in the college that he wanted to to play for that team. It was devastating for him. You know, your kids are going to have their feelings toppled over in their teen years when they date a guy and then that guy breaks their heart. There's a million reasons why your kids are going to have their feelings toppled over. As parents, we need to help reset those toppled over feelings, not by trying to make it better, not by trying to correct their feelings, but empathizing with their feelings. You know, sometimes I did this wrong as a parent and, and my husband would, you know, pull me aside and, and help me recalibrate, if you will. You know, it's easy as a mom when a teacher tells your child, well, you didn't do a good job on that assignment to say, oh, honey, you did a great job on that assignment. You know, it's kind of a joke with my kids because I always thought they were better than they really were. And, and the big joke with my kids is I told so many people that my daughter Bethany was the best pitcher on her t-ball team. Now, think about it. T-ball 
doesn't use a pitcher. <laughs> She's like, Mom, it was so embarrassing when I went to college and told people I was the best pitcher on the t-ball team. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. But, you know, I, I sometimes tried to fix their feelings. Probably you've done that sometimes, you know. Or your toddler throws a massive fit on the floor in Target and you try to fix it. You're like, get up quick, get in the cart. We got to get out of here. I don't want anybody to see you throw in this fit. We try to fix their feelings. But really what the writer of Proverbs saying here is offer them understanding. A few years ago, I was babysitting one of our grandsons and um, he was going through a stage where he had really big feelings. And um, he had this massive meltdown over something. And I Finally, I, I was kind of praying in my mind, all right, Lord, show me what to do here. And I got down on one knee, and I, I just kind of looked him in the eye, and I said, do you feel frustrated? Can you say frustrated? I feel so frustrated. And he stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, frustrated. And I said, I would feel frustrated too. You see, empathy sends them the message, your feelings make sense to me. I, I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in a home where my feelings were often corrected. You know, so it was okay for parents in our house to get angry, but if kids got angry, that wasn't okay. You know, and we were told, stop. I was told, stop crying, probably more than any other phrase during my childhood. That's not helpful. It's better to find out why they're crying, why they're having big feelings, why they're frustrated, why they're angry. Draw it out. Tell them, let them know be with your eyes, with your body language, that their feelings make sense to you. Help them reestablish those toppled over feelings. And then the writer of Proverbs finishes by saying, through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasure. You know, we had four kids and each one was completely different. You know, we had the typical firstborn who was the perfectionist, uh, would get straight A's in school, would work really hard in school. Then we had our son, and he was easygoing and lighthearted. I think he wrote on the walls probably, I don't know, 50 or 60 times. He never quite got that concept that you shouldn't write on the walls. And even to this day, he says, you know, mom, you really should have just given me a whole wall painted where I could do my artwork, which probably would have been a good idea. But, you know, I remember when he said to me, you know, mom, I can do my homework in five minutes in homeroom. And, and I can get an A by getting a 90 on a test. Why would I kill myself like Bethany's doing to get a 98, you know? And so that was JJ. And then we had Steph, our little negotiator who took the world by storm and wanted to be the best in everything. And then we had Carrie and Carrie was just easygoing. You know, she came out of the womb smiling and she was everybody's friend. You know, she would walk into a room and everybody loved Carrie, you know, but they were all different. And in school for Carrie, 
schoolwork wasn't what was important in school. It was the social element. And, and so the writer of Proverbs here is saying, study your kids. Know the differences. On your table, you will see there is a handout about really knowing your children. Spend some time reflecting before the Lord. What are my child's gifts? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What are their spiritual gifts? How do they respond to conflict? How do they respond when pressured? What are, how are they wired? You see, as you become a student of your child, God is going to use you in that child's life. I like to say that when children are born, all of us mamas, you know, we're, we're handed that little bundle and we think we're going to shape and mold this child, right? And Sometimes I think God sits in heaven and he laughs a little bit. And he says, you know what? I'm going to shape and mold you through this child, right? And so we have to become students of our children. Know what they like. Can you know their friends? Can you name your children's five best friends? You need to stay in tune with them. So these are the biblical principles. So now let's get practical. How do we do this? How do we listen when we've got this whole world out there screaming at us? I want to give you a few quick suggestions. The first one is learn the art of asking questions. You know, there are amazing games on Amazon right now that help you ask your kids questions. We were over at my son's house for dinner the other night and we were playing this game. And the first question, you pick a card out and then you have to ask everybody at the table the question and everybody gives their answer. So the first question was, who is your hero and why? You know, and so Theo, who is six, I think he said his hero was Spider-Man, you know. And then Joshi, who plays soccer, said his hero was Messi. And, you know, we went around the table, but the adults had to share too. And then one of the questions was, what do you wish your parents had done different? Now, Theo and Joshi's parents are sitting at the dinner table. What do you wish your parents did different? That's a great question, you know. A couple of years ago, Steve and I sat down with our four adult kids. It was one of our birthdays. I can't remember whose. And uh, we said to the kids, okay, their spouses were there too. So it was four kids and their four spouses. The kids were all off playing. And we said, you know what? Tell us, what did we do right in your opinion? And what did we do wrong? What do you wish we had done different? And it opened up this beautiful conversation with our adult kids. Well, you know, mom, you struggled a lot with anxiety. We wish you hadn't struggled so much, you know, because it impacted us. That's true. Dad, you were at times so busy with ministry that we didn't see you make friends with unbelievers as much. We kind of wish you had done that differently, you know? And then, and then we said, well, what did we do right? Do you know what the number one answer was? The number one answer for all four of our kids is when you knew you blew it with us kids, you were always willing to apologize. It sends a huge message 
to your kids. So the first rule for listening is learn to ask questions. The second one is apologize and ask how you're doing as a listener. You know, sometimes we're afraid to look at how we're doing, but sit down with your kids and ask. I'll never forget asking our daughter who at the time was maybe 18. I said, so how do you think I'm doing as a listener? I mean, I had been working on it for a while, so I kind of thought I was going to get rave reviews, you know, and I kind of stood back like waiting for the accolades. And our, our daughter said, well, mom, there's a long pause. Sometimes you listen well. I'm like, okay. She's like, sometimes you're distracted with other things or you interrupt me. And you know, mom, you give advice sometimes and I don't really want your advice. I want you to just listen and hear me. I was like, okay, I've got more work to do. Here's the thing for those of you that are mamas, especially those of you that now have older teens that are getting ready to transition into college, or those of you that have adult kids when you're, that are moving out of the home, they want your advice less and less. Let me give you an example. If my daughter calls and says, mom, it was an awful night. The twins didn't sleep at all last night. Zachy was up all night. She does not want me to say, oh, honey, you need to try sleep training. Or you need to read this book that I just read, How to Get Your Child to Sleep in Five Days. I mean, she needs, honey, I'm so sorry. And maybe an offer to babysit so that she can take a nap. See, as older women, I want to talk to you for just a minute. As you get older, the temptation will be to advise. People don't want your advice, really, unless they ask. They want you to empathize with them. So how do you listen well? You learn to ask questions. You apologize when you do it wrong. You silence your inner fixer. You stop trying to be the world's hero and hand out solutions because people don't want solutions. They want to feel heard. I love the way Jesus listened to people. You know, very rarely did Jesus say, well, this is what you need to do. He listened. Like the woman at the well, he listened. And then he did point out truth gently, but not in a you need to fix this part of your life right? He let her come to those conclusions. Another thing that will help you in your listening journey, and this one's going to be a little bit ouchy, so I apologize in advance, but it's truth. We all, all, remember this is grace space, we all are a little bit addicted to our phones, right? We have Instagram, we have our email, we have our voicemail, we have texting. I mean, all the things, right? But if you go to a park and you just pause for a minute and you look around at the parents of all the kids who are playing on the playground equipment, what are they doing? They're all on their phone. They're checking Instagram. You know, when you get a like on Instagram or Facebook, it's like a little dopamine hit to your brain. So it makes you feel a little better about yourself. <clears throat> when you realize that you're spending too much time on your phone, turn it off for a while. 
The world doesn't need you 24-7. I, you know, I've had to do this. My husband, Steve, has had to do this. When my grandkids are over, my prayer has become, Lord, let me be fully present to them. Now, I'm not saying that your child needs your attention 24-7. That will raise a narcissist, likely, right? But at different points throughout the day, put your phone away. If you have children in school and they get home from school, you've got that short window where they're actually going to talk to you. So make it count. Put your phone away. Give them food. Food helps kids talk. You know, give them a snack. Sit down. Ask them the funniest part of their day. Don't start out with what homework do you have because they're going to shut down. So, but draw them out and put your phone away. During dinner time, pass around a basket. Have everybody put their cell phone in. I'm a huge fan of family dinners. And I, I know, I get it, y'all have a million things going on. Y'all have your kids in sports and musicals. We did too. But as much as we could, the dinner table was sacred in our house. Because that's where we heard the funny stories about what happened at school. That's where we heard the dreams our kids had. That's where we heard when they were doubting God. That's where we heard where friendships were going awry. The dinner table is so important. If there's, you know, if you walk away from this with only one thing, take a look at how many nights a week you're having dinner together as a family. And make it your goal to accomplish that. We still have Sunday dinners in our house, you know, and all the kids and the grandkids come when they can, and and it's a riot, right? But that's where I find out, like, okay, how do I need to pray for these grandkids? How do I need to pray for these adult kids? The family dinner table is really important. Slow down. That's the last one. You know, life is going quickly. We're all in a blooming rush. I remember back when I was raising the kids and they were all little, reading through the Gospels and having this profound thought. Jesus never once turned to the disciples and said, will you guys hurry up and get your sandals on? We're running late. That was so profound to me because I realized that it's very easy as a mom to get addicted to hurry, right? We got to get the kids to school on time. Got to get them to soccer. You got to get them to piano. You got to get them to dance. You got to get them to church because you definitely want them in church. I mean, there's all these things, but you can go through life racing at breakneck speed. Ask the Lord at key points throughout your day. Lord, help me to slow down and breathe. Help me to be fully present right now. Now, I'm going to end this. I want to pray for you. Sorry, I'm running out of voice here. I want to pray for you, but then I want to open it up for some questions. Do we have time for that, Holly? Okay, Um, because probably I didn't touch on the different things that you have questions about. You know, I try my hardest, but I'm not going to hit all the things. So let me pray for you. Would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and I just want to ask you, 
a couple of questions, and I'm just looking around the room so I know whether I'm hitting the right topics in this prayer. I want to pray blessing over you. If you have a child, and honestly before the Lord, this child is driving you crazy right now, would you just put up your hand? I want to pray for you, okay? If you feel like you realize you are so overwhelmed with your schedule that you don't know how to give your kids attention, would you put your hand up? Okay. If, if you have kids that have walked away from God and your heart's cry is just bring them back, Lord, would you put your hand up? Okay. Lord Jesus, you have seen these precious moms. And Lord, I love the picture of you praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you were praying for us then, and you pray for us now. The book of Hebrews tells us that you live to intercede for us before the Father. And we're so thankful for that. And Lord, some of these mamas are tired. Some of them have a child who's driving them bonkers. Would you help them to see that child through your eyes? Lord, some mamas here are so overwhelmed with the busyness of their life that they can't figure out how to slow down. Would you help them? And then, Lord, for some in this room, they have children who have walked far away from the Lord. And Lord, we know that you're the prodigal father who continually runs after that child. And Lord, we say thank you. And we praise you, Lord, in advance that you will never stop pursuing that child. But for now, would you help these mamas to be faithful at praying for their kids, at loving them, and at listening to them? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I would like to take your questions. Anybody have any questions? Yes. Hi, um, thank you. Uh, I love your uh, value you put on having a family dinner. Um, I definitely agree. Uh, but I have children that are six, four, and one and a half. And family dinner can be one of the most stressful parts of the day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, because we're so, I'm just, one, looking for wisdom in that season, and then maybe like, hey, I just want to let you know, at this age, it gets better. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, we're still working through that. We're blessed in that everybody can be home right now because we haven't yes. entered the season of sports yet. Um, but wisdom on that season. It does get better. And I think um, if you remain calm, that will help not to put all the onus on you, and keep your sense of humor. I mean, there were, <laughs> we, we have, our family dinners were crazy because we raised four very verbal kids, you know? And so, like, there was a season where they were all interrupting each other. So one day, Steve came home from work with, with four bags of dimes. There was, like, $10 of dimes in each bag. And anytime you... In, he gave each kid a bag and said, anytime you interrupt somebody else at family dinner, you have to put a dime in the center of the table, and that becomes daddy and mommy's. Um, any dimes you have left at the end of the week, you can keep, and we're not bending on this. <laughs> and so I think one daughter had, like, I don't know, a lot of dimes. One had, like, maybe three dimes left by the end of the week. <laughs> but 
you got to keep your sense of humor. You know, make dinner time fun if you can. Don't like, I've, I know it's a temptation. You want them to eat. You want them to eat marginally healthy. In the long run, it's all going to work out. So, like, don't stress over, you've got to eat these vegetables, you know. I mean, it's just, like, give them healthy food as much as you can, but keep family dinner fun. Yes. I guess, like, I still are at the age of, like... Please use your fork. I'm sorry? Please use your fork. Where does your water bottle belong? Yeah. Those little things. Yeah. And I feel that we continually do that. And I have a husband that really does want dinner to be um, more calm. Yeah. um, And not like a crazy party. Um, And I don't, you know, and so you have to balance the desires of each spouse and your children. True. Um, And so respecting that and trying to like, and I I get this is very specific, um, but... Yeah. No, that, those are good <laughs> questions. And so I, I also really like the value of the pre-event conversation. So, okay, guys, we're going to work on this as a family. So we want dinners to be really calm. So if you use your fork all week long and you can make it all the way till Friday, you know, you get an extra dollar of allowance. Again, blackmail bribery, right? <laughs> a whole lot of prayer. It's worth losing a few bucks over. Don't sweat it, you know? Um, and, you know, uh, just keep working at it. But while they're eating, try not to like, oh, my lands, would you just use your fork? You know, and we're all going to have those no- moments, right? But just gentleness when you can, you know, hand them the fork. Remember our fork, you know, maybe come up with silly songs. Keep it fun if you can. I don't know if that helps. I would also say, too, that just like that habit of do, you know, even if it is not what you're, I mean, even if you can't meet that goal of it being the way you want it to yes. be, just developing that habit over time, then like as they get older, they'll know this is what we do. Like we do yep. family dinners together, just knowing that little by little it will become a little bit more calm. But I think just that validity of this is part of our culture. This is what we do is we, you know, eventually the craziness will wear off a little bit. Yeah. I have the same, my husband really wants like the kids to have manners at the table and I do too, but I'm also like, I'm just trying to make it till eight o'clock. Um, but <laughs> yes. what a couple of things that we've tried is we have played fancy restaurant where like, like he put on a suit, I put on like a dress, we set our chi- like table with China and tapers and stuff. And then we like invited them to dinner and then we like played fancy restaurant and they pretended they were like these college girls traveling or something. And we were the servers. Yeah. yeah. And, um, then we like remind like fancy restaurant manners. Like we remember like on, you know, a regular night we do that. And then the other thing is like, we have just like focus on one habit at a time, like not expecting, everything to be at once but like if your napkin is on your lap if it's not on your lap and somebody notices then you have to go and run up and down the stairs singing abcs like for like one minute or whatever like it's like we only like have focused on one thing because but i'm like sometimes like it's 
crazy. Like with having a two-year-old now, like it's like we had to start over kind of. And it, I feel like we're like sweating at the end of like a restaurant like experience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I wish I had stayed home and burned $80 like with a match. So, so I think like, I know it's like that season too. It's just, it, it ends, but. And to piggyback on what Holly said, it does get better. I mean, we, we had one that couldn't stain her chair during dinner. It was up and down, up and down, run around, run around. So my husband finally, like, put a seatbelt on her just to remind <laughs> her to sit during dinner, you know? But eventually she got it, yeah. right? And, I mean, it does pan out. It does get better. Hang in there. And it makes great memories after. I mean, you can laugh. Thank you. I'm wondering, you mentioned the Lord told you to let your daughter, give your daughter a voice. Yes. What were the practical steps you took or what did he show you? How did you give your daughter a voice? That is a great question. I love that question. So I did age appropriate. He wants a voice. Um, (laughs) 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 I did age appropriate things with her Um, before she was in kindergarten Um, back in the day, you know, now you could use your microwave timer for this, but back then I had a kitchen timer. So I would say, okay, you have four minutes or five minutes to argue your case. And I'm just going to listen. You can argue, but then at the end, it's mommy's choice on this. And she would say, okay. So for four or five minutes, she would just argue and I would just let her, you know, as she got older, Okay, I have to tell this story because it's my favorite stuff story. <laughs> and she would, if she was here, she remembers this because she does it with her own kids now. That's a parenting win. Um, anyway, so she was 12. I had just come home from a speaking engagement. I was tired. I had done four sessions over the weekend. You know, I'm dead tired. Steph comes bounding down the stairs and and she has this gleam in her eye. And she's like... I want a TV in my room. Now, this went against everything Steve and I believed in as parents. She wanted a TV in her room. And I I instantly prayed, like, Lord, help. I need wisdom, like, right now, because this is going to turn into a whole big thing, and I don't have the energy for this. So the Lord gave me an idea. So I said, go up to your room or go up to the computer room, And I want you to write me a whole proposal for why you think you need a TV in your room. It has to have good paragraph structure. It has to have capitals and periods in your sentences. And I need a whole proposal from you. And I thought, okay, this will buy us time. So Steph went up on the computer. She worked for two hours. She came down and she presented her proposal to Steve and I. And then... We said, okay, now you can be excused and we're going to talk. And Steve looks at me and he says, Beck, what are we going to do? This is really good. (laughs) So he said, all right, I know what we need to do. He said, I have a black and white TV in the garage that works on two channels. So we gave her the black and white TV in her room that worked on two channels. She only watched it twice because it wasn't very much fun, but she felt like she won. And to this day now, she uses proposals with her kids because it's, it takes the emotion out of all the arguing and, you know, that doesn't fit our family values, and blah, 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 you know. So proposals. 
So I really appreciated what you said about um, not giving your kids all of the attention. I have a one and three year old and I feel like there was like a book and podcast when my first son was born that put all this pressure on me of like, you have to be present. You have like, you're gonna ruin your kids if you're not totally present. And then a lot of people your generation that are like, it goes so fast, honey, enjoy every second. I'm like, well, I'm losing my mind, but thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. It goes um, fast, except in the middle of the night. Right, exactly. It go fast. Yes. That's so, a lie. <laughs> so I think with him, I feel like I've maybe given too much attention. So I just wondered if you had tips on teaching him like independent play and being present sometimes mm -hmm. and also teaching him like when I'm trying to do something I need you to not ask me to watch you every five seconds while you jump off the thing like right <laughs> just right practical tips on that how old is he three and three. then I have a one-year-old okay. too so what's, what's funny about this is I just had this conversation with one of my daughters this morning <laughs> so it's very pertinent um yeah you cannot give your child attention 24 hours a day it's not possible for starters for seconders it's like, that's not real life, right? Because nobody gives me attention 24 hours a day, right? I, except for God, right? So, um, so you take small steps, you know, when they're two and three, okay, here are, you know, whatever he likes to play with. And I want you to play with this for, you know, five or 10 minutes on your own. Um, you know, where this comes up a lot for moms is when you're on the phone, right? So it like your children don't need you at all until they see you on the phone. And it, it as much as I say, put your phone away sometimes, which, there are times when you can't, right? You have to call the doctor or you have to be on a work-related phone call. So you have to teach them, okay, phone rules. When mommy's on the phone, you can't ask me anything unless there's blood, you know, and... <laughs> You know, if there's a tragedy, you want them to interrupt you, but as a general rule. So you, you do little pockets of time, you know, does he still take a nap or no? He does. Oh, God bless him. Because I have some grandchildren that gave that up really young. But during nap time, you know, that's his time. And, and, but really, like, you just have to do it gradually. You know, it's a whole thing. It's not like, okay, I'm going to give you some tip today, and tomorrow he's going to be able to play by himself for five hours, right? That's not going to happen. Um, but you can take little steps, you know, like, let's try this. Mommy has to fold laundry. While I fold laundry, you do blah, 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 you know, or while I'm making dinner, you do blah, 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 you know, but it, they, some kids need more directed play and some are wildly creative and can play by themselves for hours. Best of luck. Hope that helps. <laughs> um, just one thing to add to this. Um, I think one of the things I would always try to do when they were that age is I want to get my stuff done first and then do something with them. It took me yes. a long time to figure out if I would kind of, if they have this bucket of, you know, that just what need that needs filling. If I could do kind of what you're saying a little, like if I could sit down and do something with them first for 15 minutes and then say, yeah, then I'm going to do this. But it, yeah, I think just for me, it was reversing it from like, I need to get all my work done and then I can play with you. It was like, they were more grasping to me and wanting me versus if I kind of filled that first and then. Yeah. And that's then, a really yeah. good suggestion or like, we're going to cuddle and read these, you know, mm -hmm. books if he likes reading. Um, or we're going to play dinosaurs or whatever. But then, you know, give him a heads up. Communication really is everything, don't you think, Holly? I mean, it's like, okay, give them warnings. Like, you know, 
okay, I'm going to play this with you for 10 minutes, but then mommy has to do her thing. Or, you know, in five minutes, it's bedtime. So start to wind down. Helps them get there. Somebody over here had a question. Okay, okay so I think you touched on this a little bit where you have four kids. They're all different. They all have their own identities and their needs. But how do you realistically give each of them their different, like how do you parent them differently with still having similar like rules and sets of boundaries for each of them? Does that make yeah, sense? that's a good question. <clears throat> you know, I, I found um, there were some general principles that I really wanted to go hard after. I, I really, I really wanted to be a gentle parent, and so did my husband. We, we talked about that together. Both he and I grew up in very strict environments. You know, we got hit a lot, things like that. So we wanted a gentle home, so as much as we could. Now there were times where we weren't as gentle as we should have been. Um, but I think it goes back to asking the Lord to give you wisdom with each child. There were some family rules we had, like we did eat dinner at night. Although, <laughs> you have to know my husband. I wish he was here with me because he, he's not a rule follower. Uh, he's been in ministry for 40-something years, never been a rule follower. And so his famous line to me was, well, we don't want to give them too many rules because they will want to break the rules. There was actually a lot of wisdom to that. So a lot of times we didn't come up with a rule unless we needed a rule. So funny story with our kids, when they were teens, they would say, could you please give us a curfew tonight? Because we don't want to stay at this party so late. And we were like, okay, what do you want your curfew? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Again, we didn't know what we were doing as parents. So we, you know, we were, we were firm about some things. They had to come to church with us, right? And that took priority over sports. They... Um, they, we put in allowance when we needed it. So making their bed was a big thing to me. It probably wasn't to Steve, but I would say you have to make your bed in the morning, you know, and, and if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But then you have to pay somebody else to do it and you can pay your brother or sister, but, and if you pay me, I've had like 20 years experience making beds. So it's going to cost you a lot. So, you know, so like our son, JJ, his version of making a bed was just throw the quilt, you know, and I don't know. I mean, maybe that was a silly rule, but it was important to me at the time. Um, you know, they had to eat dinner with us at, at night, you know, um, but we didn't have a lot of rules. I tried to get JJ to stop writing on the walls. And I mean, it was just a whole thing. I mean, it took forever. He wrote me a note on his wall in kindergarten. Big black heart in permanent marker. I love you, mom. I mean, what do you do with that? So it was like, buddy, I love you too, but now we got to wash the wall. <laughs> you know, so you, you have to go back to God for wisdom. I will say this. Don't nitpick and make rules over everything. You know, pick your battles. I remember Steph came home from a church meeting where, remember, my husband was the pastor, so this was a little awkward. One of her teachers told her, well, if you dye your hair blue, that's a sign of rebellion. Steph came in the door, no joke, Daddy, where in the Bible does it say if you dye your hair blue, that's a sin? Steve doesn't know what's going on. He's like, nowhere. Can I dye my hair blue? If you want to, go ahead. And she's like, I knew I was right. <laughs> So, I mean, you just got to keep the main thing the main thing. 
Yes. No, no, I can bring it to you. I feel like the there's different expectations for husbands and wives, moms and dads. So in my family, um, I'm my husband. I don't think is has empathy or compassion in his DNA whatsoever from his upbringing. <laughs> and so you know that we're constantly working on that. But I feel yeah. like how can I? Um, what is the expectation for? like my husband to stop the busy and really narrow in and focus on our son when he's talking. I feel like it does look different for the mom versus the dad, but in a way like, you know, I am my partner's, you know, voice of reason in that. But at the same time, it's like, I, I do feel like it, there's a different line that we don't both need to follow with regards to that, it's going to look different for our son. Yeah, you can't make your husband parent like you do. I mean, you're, it, it, um, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I don't want to, but I'm like, okay, so for instance, it says, um, like, less busy, you know, put the phone down. I understand there's a line yeah. for that, but I feel like, especially when they're young, my son is five, it's more me on the empathy side right. than it is him. But should it look the same for my husband? And if it shouldn't, how should it look for the dads? I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I think it's unrealistic to think it should look the same for both husband and wife because you each bring different strengths. And I don't think this is just a matter of if you're male or female, right? Both of us have different strengths and different weaknesses. But it's important that you keep your marriage together while you're parenting. And so what we did, because sometimes we felt differently about different things, right? And so um, we would have private conversations, check-in times. You know, I'm a huge proponent. You got to know this about me. This is slightly off topic. But when we were raising kids, we went on one date every week. And I have parents say to me, I can't afford to do that. And my answer to them is we couldn't afford not to do that. And we were poor. <laughs> you know, we were working for churches that didn't have a lot of money. But we made it a priority because we knew that if we fell apart, that would impact the kids. So when there was a difference between us, I would say, don't bring it up in front of your children. You know, have a private conversation later. Say, hey, is it possible that you could work with me on this where we could put our phones away during dinner. You know, I remember having that conversation with my husband, you know, and like, so we can really be present to the kids. And he'd be like, oh, sure. You know, but he hadn't thought of it before, you know, because it doesn't come naturally, perhaps to him. So, you know, or I'll say, you know, it seems like one of the kids is a little off right now. Could you take that child on a date this week? You know, I'm a huge proponent, too, of individual dates with your kids because you learn so much from them on those one-on-one -on -one dates. So then he would say, oh, yeah, I can work that out, you know. So he would take JJ or Bethany or Carrie or whoever on a date and just spend some time alone with them. So, you know, ask, don't tell. Um, you know, say, hey, we have a problem. Don't criticize. Don't say you have a problem because you never put your phone away. I mean, those kind of conversations never go well. So you want to say we, you know, this is where we're pulling. So let's do it together where we can. Thank you. You're welcome.
Could you speak to finding the balance of affirming your child's voice, affirming that their thoughts and their voice is important, and also being respectful of mommy and daddy yeah. are rulers over you. you. God has given you to us and finding the balance between those two things. Yeah, I, um, so I, I think a lot of that happens in the really young years, you know, because it's like, honey, I want to listen to you, but you can't run across the road in front of that car, right? So um, you do have to, especially in the toddler years, stress obedience. And the reason we need you need to obey mommy and daddy is because we love you and we want to keep you safe. You know, um, as they get into elementary school, they probably know how to obey, right? They will be at different times. You have to be able to hear with your ear the difference between disrespect and where they're just completely frustrated and melting down. You know, there will be times, um, I, I heard from somebody this week and she's like, I don't know what to do because um, so-and-so just lost it and said, I hate you. And it's like, okay, that's what they're feeling in that moment. They don't feel that way all the time. So that's a moment to step in and say, but I love you all the time. And when they're calm, you have the conversation. You know, there's a key that I discovered um, in one of the researchers books that I was using to write one of the books. When a person is really, really upset, their brain cannot process what you're telling them. And I, I wish I had read that book like years and years ago, you know, because I remember a time where one of our teen daughters was having this massive meltdown and I was going into defensive mode. Like, but I didn't mean that, but I didn't do that. But I, and Steve finally walked in and said, hey, can I take over? I'm like, yes, God bless you. And he, you know, pulled that 16-year-old up on his lap and said, tell me more. Well, it turns out all the emotion had nothing to do with me. It had to do with AP history. It had to do with a friend at school and a teacher. She just wanted me to listen but because she was so upset, it was coming across to me in a disrespectful way, you know, but it really wasn't. It was just she was having this chaotic meltdown, which sometimes happens. Let's face it, we've all had chaotic meltdowns from time to time. I would also add to that that I think, and you can tell me if this is true for your kids, Becky, but there's some kids who, you know, when they're about your, you know, your oldest age, um, so I think intuitively, and I'm thinking kind of Enneagram stuff here, might yeah. kind of, if they're more of a compliant type or more aware of yeah. people, they might just sort of know where that respect line is. With having four, I think some do. And then I can think of one that really needed a lot of education on what, like, <laughs> me having to say, I don't know if you realize that you're being disrespectful to me right now, but this is how I'm hearing it. This yeah. is how it sounds to me. But let me, like, what's a different way that you could say that? I say that a lot over for this particular child, but some kids, you know, some kids might just know it more than others. Yeah. So we just had to really work on that. Cause I'm like, I don't think you're intending to do this, but I, it's like a season of trying to educate how it's coming across. Yeah. Okay. I think that's really good, Holly. And, and really, again, what I like about that is Holly's seeking to understand. She's not saying you're a disrespectful kid, go to your room, you know, and all the things. What she's saying is, I don't think you're trying to come across this way, but this is the way I'm experiencing that. Mm -hmm. And that's just a really good practice. 
Hi. Um, hi. Hi. I have one two-year-old, and um, she's not. She doesn't have meltdowns often, but when she does, I have no idea how to handle it. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. She. Uh, she started as an example. She started crying yesterday because I told her we're going to turn the TV off and we're going to go outside. It's a nice day. And, um, you know, for a minute she was okay, but she started to pout and I was like, here it comes. We turned the TV off and I said, let's go potty first. So I get her back to the potty and on the hall, in the hallway down back to the potty, she falls on the floor and starts crying. And so at that point, when she has those meltdowns, nothing I do is right. So I'm like, do you want to hold your otter? Do you want your milk? Drink some milk. You'll feel better. Let's put you on the potty. And she'll say, all done. I'll take her off the potty. And she'll say, no, go potty. And then she'll keep crying through all this. I don't know how to give a two-year-old a voice when she, she, can't, she doesn't understand the word frustrated. She can barely say it. <laughs> so how do you give a two-year-old a voice? Yeah. So two-year-olds cannot come down off of a fit by themselves. Um, they, they are going to throw fits. And I mean, I remember watching one of our grandchildren throw a fit and thinking, dang, I'm an adult. I can't do that anymore. But right now I'm pretty frustrated with a different situation. That looks mighty good right now, you know. And I always go back to God and how he handles us because I've thrown my fair share of fits in the throne room. And you probably have too, right? And so what you do with a two-year-old, because they can't, they, they can't calm themselves down. You pick them up, you hold them close, and you say, I, I love you, and I know this is so sad that we have to turn off the TV. And you just hold her, and she's probably going to hit you and all the things, and you just hold her until it all calms down. And then you say okay, now let's go potty. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest going potty in the middle of a fit necessarily because it's too much information for where she's at in her brain in that moment. Now, having said that, she might, you know, wet her pants or whatever, but that's okay. That's not the end of the world, right? But, but two-year-olds are not developmentally yet able to come down off of a fit by themselves. It takes really until they say five or six then to be able to self-regulate, you know? Um, and it's a, it's a whole thing, depending on how your kid's wired, you know, whether they have different sensory issues, um, different things like that. Hopefully that's helpful. Yes? Um, I have a daughter and then two sons, and I guess my question would just be like, how did you get your son to open up to you? Because my daughter, like she, I know everything that she's going through and, you know, she's very verbal. But then my boys, they're just a lot more reserved and, you know, they kind of give, how was your day at school? Fine. You know, like, how, who, who, or what'd you do at recess, soccer, you know, <laughs> with the one word again. So how do you, how did you speak into your son's heart? And, and maybe it's different because I know some boys are really verbal. Yeah, he, so. I, that's what I'm thinking. I'm, as, I, as I'm listening to your question, I'm praying in my brain. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> Show me how to answer yeah. this because our son is very verbal. Yeah. So I, I am extremely blessed. I mean, he called me this morning, and he's like 38 years old. He called me this morning to just process something, right? So he, he is very able to process. And, um, but I, I do know that some kids are not verbal processors. And I know that selective mutism is a thing, too, where some kids um, 
have a hard time answering questions. So I would say with kids that don't tell you as much, they need more space to tell you. If they feel like you're gunning them, they're not going to answer. So like I have one grandson who takes longer to process um, and give me an answer. Like if I'm picking up from school and I just ask like how football was at recess, usually that's a topic I hear about. But um, if I ask something else, sometimes I'll literally in my head silently count to 10 before I say the question again, because I want to give him time. You know, because he just, for whatever the reason, needs longer to be able to tell me what's on his mind, you know. And I would say some with some boys, um, activities help. So if he's into basketball, go out and play basketball with him or play soccer with him or football or whatever. Um, if he's a teenager, take him for a midnight donut ride. You get a lot of information out of that because when they're seated in the front seat of your car, they're looking straight ahead and you are too and you're not even looking at them. So then you hear a lot more. Those would be my suggestions. I would say my son is kind of how you're just a little more introverted. And so we, there's a lot of that in the car when maybe we're just side by side. Yeah. And then I think going back to just sort of studying your child and observing things about them, I think it with my more introverted kids, it took me thinking about, okay, when are the times when I notice that they're more apt to talk? Maybe is after they've exerted energy in an activity that they like, or for some of my kids, it's at night, like through the day they're not. But if I can ask a few questions that there's something they're interested in at night, I'll, you know, all of a sudden they'll wake up and be really talkative. Yeah. So it's just my more talkative because they're always talk, you know, they're always telling me everything like you're saying. And the other ones I just have to think more carefully about when are those opportunities and kind of take advantage of that. So yeah. how about we do one more question? I have a six-year-old daughter and she's, especially during like Easter season, she's been like very interested in like um, just having a relationship with Jesus and kind mm -hmm. of what that looks like. And it's been really cool to like walk through that with her. Um, I grew up in church, but it was very much like just head knowledge. Like, let's talk about stories about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And just, we learned things about Jesus, but it wasn't as like the relationship and hearing from Jesus. That wasn't really something that like we talked a lot about at our, our church and in our home. And so what are some questions um, that you would suggest that I could just ask my daughter about like, what are you thinking about this? Rather than it being like, let's talk about this story, you know, cause she, she goes to a Christian school and mm -hmm. we go to church every Sunday. So she knows a lot of like the stories about Jesus, but what are some questions to kind of get her to the place where she knows when she's ready to make that decision for herself? Cause I don't want it to be something that we like force on her. Like, okay, now we're going to say the prayer. Cause that's what we do, you know, mm -hmm. but it kind of be her own, like gradual way of just coming to the Lord in her own way. What are some ways that I, we could assist in that? I love that question. Um, I want to preface it by saying, you know, some people are like, well, you know, kids can't really know Jesus till a certain age. I am a person who asked Jesus to come into my life at three years old. And I know that I know that I know that he did and he became my very best friend, and I talked to him continually. So good for you that 
you are interested in this and that you're going to help her with this, you know? And I, I think you communicate God in so many different ways. You communicate the love of Christ as you're rubbing her back and tucking her in bed and as you're praying, you know, and as you're praying over her, would you like to pray, you know? And if some kids have profound insight with the Lord at a very young age. I don't know your daughter. I know we have one granddaughter who is profound in this area. And I've said to her, Selah, I think you need to be praying over people. And she's like, I know Mimi, I'm praying over my friend. Um, and she gave me a name, you know, and I was speaking at a church, um, maybe two weeks ago, and there was, they called up people for prayer and ministry time at the end of the service. There was this little girl, she was maybe like eight years old, and there were these women weeping, and here's this little girl coming up behind them, praying over them. And I'm like, great, you know? So listen to her and then say, would you like to pray? You know, and what do you think about asking Jesus to be your personal um I don't know if she understands the word savior. Some kids do at six, some don't, you know. She probably knows she needs forgiveness. Like, so you can always ask, can you think of a time where you did anything wrong? You know what the great thing about Jesus is? He took all the punishment for all the things we're going to do wrong, you know. And maybe you would like a, a friendship with Jesus that will last a lifetime, you know. And, and just start making it like casual questions like that, you know, um, but good for you. I, I love that she is so interested in Jesus and when they are, you want to go with that, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think I just have things that like happened whenever I was a kid that I like, I remember like saying the prayer and like asking for forgiveness, but then I couldn't really let that go. Like, I just like kind of grew up like feeling guilty, like, oh, I messed up again. And like, why do I keep doing that? Why do and it was more of like a guilt thing. And so I want to like definitely separate that and know that like, the she's Lord not going to grow us. up like that because you're aware of it. So she will ask Jesus into her heart. Mm -hmm. And if she ever feels guilty again for doing something wrong, say, oh, sweetie, you know, you don't have to feel guilty, but that's probably the Holy Spirit telling you not to do that again. Right. You know, she's, she's going to, she's going to model her Christianity most likely after you. Mm -hmm. And since you get that, she's likely going to get that. You know, you don't want to do a lot of guilt-producing things with kids, you know. But it doesn't sound like you are. So have confidence. I feel like okay. Jesus is really happy with the way you're doing it. Thank you, Becky, for you're being welcome. with us. It was so wonderful to hear from you. Thanks for answering all those questions. Yeah, I love help, having you help us think about just listening and having empathy and putting away distractions and all those things were so, so helpful. So, well, Becky's going to be around for a little while. Her books will be available, so please come and talk to her if you'd like, and we're going to go into our discussion. Um, table leaders, you know what those questions are, but there are also some questions in here yeah. if you wanted to look through any, if they any of those questions kind of about our kids would be a helpful springboard um, for conversation. So we will gather back in about 20 minutes.